Ladies and gentlemen, the motion picture you are about to see contains an evil spell as used by practitioners of witchcraft for centuries. I am now about to dispel all evil spirits. O oh, creator of Hecate, Damkina Marduk's messenger, hold all your powers and those of your do-bidders and their familiars and cast a protecting shield above those gathered here present. And now, with a free mind and a protected soul, we ask you to enjoy this performance. Listeners everywhere, welcome to The Movie Show with Joel and Ryan, the weekly fix for your screen addiction and a trusted source for discussion of all things film and television. Please keep in mind that for the purposes of this podcast, Joel and Ryan are not acting as journalists, but rather fellow moving picture enthusiasts. All of their opinions should be taken as such. Also, please be warned that while Joel and Ryan may seem like petulant children, they are, in fact, adults who may occasionally use adult language. While they promise to keep out all the worst words, it's a good bet you will still understand what they were saying. And now, with no further ado, here's Joel and Ryan. right okay hi welcome welcome to the movie show with joel and ryan i'm joel i'm ryan i'm michael i'm rob and that's right we have the super spectacular or or super spooktacular (laughs) halloween episode yay Right, friends. Okay, so the uh, this year, because you know we're coming up on our anniversary again, Ryan. You know that we we kind of started around a Halloween episode. Yep, and, that is true. Uh, and jumped right in, I believe, with movie monsters, and then we we uh, what were some of our other Halloween ones? I think we did classic. Did we do uh, the Universal classic monsters? Yep. Um, and um yeah so we have yeah but so we, we had to assemble for this year because we're in year four we had to assemble a blue ribbon panel of spookiness to make sure that we could uh you know we were constantly looking to evolve constantly looking to improve and now we got michael and rob and ryan and joel and not just hey well let's maybe pick a movie and we'll all talk about it or uh, maybe let's pick a couple of movies no 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 what we did this year. Thanks to Rob. This was Rob's. We have Rob to blame for this. I am Rob to thank for this. Is that this year we uh, are doing spooky double features. Oh, that's the wrong boo. (laughs) Oh, it's always nice when you screw up your sound effects. Wasn't there supposed to be theremin somewhere? Yes, I hit the wrong buttons. Just checking. 
It seemed like yep. we spent an inordinate amount of time we for that did. little bit of oh. theremin. We absolutely did, and I blew it. And so um, that is maybe that's my trick instead of a treat. We all make mistakes. Uh, Rob and Michael came yeah. on the movie show with Joel and Ryan, so there you go. <laughs> there it is. Um, all right. So the the uh, the I, I don't remember how this you know Rob your original thinking behind this uh, you know and and how it all came about, but uh, you know we we. We ended up choosing. Um, uh, we each ended up choosing what would be a great um, Halloweenish, spooky uh, double feature. Uh, t- talk a little bit more about double features, Rob. Uh, well, actually, this this double feature in particular, I've been trying to get on the show for about two years. I think um, probably since That's the fair. first time Ryan asked, "Hey, you got any ideas that you'd like to come on and talk about?" Um, so once we did our, our first double feature episode where we talked about somewhere in time and time after time, oh um, yeah, it seemed like a, you know, a good idea of like, if we did like we did with the Stephen King, where we had the four of us on and each picked a double feature. Um, I've actually shown these, my two films together as double features several times, introducing new people to them. Did anybody uh, watch any of these as double features? I watched them all as double features, like very strictly. Yeah, uh, I, I, I did most of them. Yeah. Ryan's was the night and then the next morning, but the yeah. other two were back to back. Yeah, I I watched them like I watched uh, I, I watched I didn't watch them consecutively on the same night, but I watched them over a series of nights one after the other one after the other so uh i did um with the exception of ryan's because yeah because i i needed to get rob's in there um and uh and i knew i could watch ryan's streaming so but yeah so we'll so we'll get to these in just a moment so that that's the so that's that's the tease folks is we have eight films that we are talking about today. And, um, and you know, we're not going to go blow by blow, death by death, uh, bite by bite. Um, but we're going to, you know, we want to get into these and, and, and we're going to talk about not only the movies themselves, but why they either work or do not work as, uh, as double features. We each came up with these double features, told them to each other, and then we said, off we go, let's watch them and then talk about them. Um, and, uh, and so we're chronologically and because it was Rob's idea, um, it, uh, it happens to work out really effectively that our first movie, uh, our first double feature, I guess I'll announce them as double features and then we'll talk about, um, talk about the movies, uh, each one. Uh, the first one, Rob's, Rob's choices were Night of the Demon and Burn Witch Burn. AKA so, Curse of the Demon, AKA, uh, Night, AKA Night, Night of the, of the Eagle. Eagle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I picked a double feature of AKA films, um, also known as uh, the first one, uh, Curse of the Demon is the US title. And it is a, it existed or was seen most frequently, usually uh, with that title in an 82 minute cut. Um, it was thought that the 95 minute cut, the original British cut under the name Night of the Demon was lost. Um, and there's actually a really interesting story about how that was saved and preserved and, and became available on video, uh, which maybe on the Facebook 
page. I'll well, to uh, tell us real quick. I'll put a link so to interesting. it. Sum, sum it up. Well, okay. So I'm happy to post whatever you want on Facebook. Now it's found. <laughs> who was uh, in charge of film elements. And as they came down to be transferred uh, for video, uh, he came across this, this, cut, this longer cut, uh, which he thought, oh, this is really interesting. Um, so he noted it, that it existed. And then when they were, uh, and they put it out on VHS, I think. Um, when DVD was coming out, uh, he was working there again. And those elements, you know, they said, pull the elements for this he did and the longer cut was missing but he is like no we got you got to have the longer cut um so he's trying to find it and everything and you know he only has so much time to find these things and so right. eventually he thought he was just gonna have to send it out he mentioned to a collector friend of his uh that the trouble he's having with that and he said got silent and the collector said i own that print nice uh so, but, but that's tricky because if a studio knows you own that print, they, even if you bought it from someone legitimately, which he thought he had, mm -hmm. um, they'll just try and seize it. Um, and the guy paid a lot of money for it. So they sort of worked out a behind the scenes deal and uh, thus now it's available. Uh, nice. But it was almost lost. They're not that different, the different versions, obviously, but I was grateful well, to be able to watch the longer one. And, and I yeah. saw the longer one as well. And I'm curious, what, what are the major, I mean, that's what, 13? 13, 13 minutes. 13 yeah. minutes? Yeah. So of a 90-something minute movie, too, not 13 yeah. minutes of a two-and-a-half-hour movie. Right. So what are the big shifts? What are the big changes? I think uh, one of the big ones that I'm aware of is the, when he goes to the farmhouse, uh, the family's farmhouse to get their consent. I think that's just gone completely. Interesting. I thought that was um, one of the creepiest moments. <laughs> yeah, I know. It is. Although um, it, you can, you know, and this is the decisions that are made for these reasons. Yeah. You can pluck it right out of the movie and sure. not make a lick of difference, but I'm with you. I thought that scene was very, very cool. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure what all the others are. I started watching a special feature on the cut, the differences in the cuts, and I didn't really want to go through every cut <laughs> i never intend to watch the the shorter version i love the long version um but the film i came to kind of late of probably about eight years ago i was reading like in some magazine the top horror films of all time or whatever and came across this and never heard of it uh so i found tracked it down on dvd at the time and I just love it. I think it's a fantastic film. It's a and it. Um, I'll go further than that. It's I'll tie these together. It's a great double feature in that it really is about the. Um, it's about the, it's it's very tricky. They're both tricky thematically, and they're about the power of belief and the power of disbelief, both. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And how those things can, curse you or bless you in different ways which i thought was super cool they're yeah. very very much thematically like a little they're almost structurally the same movie but but really different though you know different viewing experiences altogether. but i mm -hmm. liked i like night of the demon a lot i love the we're going to try and talk about these without spoiling the big moments or the big turns. Right. It's okay to spoil one or two as we go, but we're Rob's big deal was we want to pitch these double features to the audience so they can watch them without feeling like they've had it all every second sure. completely analyzed. But I just, 
for Night of the Demon, I'll just say, because it does happen relatively early in the film. Yeah. The reverse the yeah. reverse smoke effects, oh, demon God, effects oh, are so good. That was amazing. Off the charts cool. Like really, yeah, for really super but that, cool. That sound yeah, well, effect, I'm like, what in God's name is that? Because it's so it sounds like a carriage creaking. It's it's a squeaky, it sounded like a squeaky wheel, which and I it thought was, was a great. And they use that later in a great way. Yeah. I mean, we should mention that these, you know, the uh, the uh, Night of the Demon is from 1957. Yep. Um, and Burn Witch Burn is 1962. Uh, oh, that's, I got 1962. Yep, 1962. Yep. Uh, shoot, hold on. And we've talked about on the show before how from 1945 to 1966, 67 or so, it's pretty much the 50s. These are very yeah. much, you know, mm-hmm. especially cinematically, these are very much 50s films, you know, and, yeah. but in a in a really great way, you know, there's that, it's not a, they're not morality tales, like when we talked about Creepshow or whatever, but there's still this, there's very much this, there's always a lesson to be learned, a hard lesson to be learned in these, mm-hmm. like that's something that all the films of the era have, whether it's a ghost story or whether it's a giant biblical epic, you know what I mean? They all are heroes all need to learn a very important lesson by the time it's over with. And it feels quaint because it's also on the surface compared to what we're used to. We're used to them eschewing that altogether. Or if it's there, it's, it's a sort of subtle thing that's thread throughout, you know, but I dug that about these two plus just fantastic atmosphere, really beautiful black and white photography for both films. Really um, solid performances too. Like Dana Andrews, mm-hmm. I think this is the first. You know, all I know is from him in the song in the Rocky Horror Picture Show mentioned, like yeah. the song. <laughs> you know, that's all I have to go off of. But I thought he was really strong. I mean, I, I love the character. He's such a yeah. a dick. So yeah, real quick, if you can, Rob, brief yeah. synopsis on both of these films. Really brief, like a couple sure. of sentences, if you can manage. Yeah. Uh, so Curse of the Demon, uh, Dana Andrews plays a professor who comes over uh, for a conference on parapsychology and to help try and uh, unmask uh, this leader of a demon cult or something, uh, Julian Carswell. Um, he, the guy he's come over to help is killed at the beginning of the film before he arrives. Uh, so when he comes, um, Carswell tries to dissuade him from trying to expose him he says that won't happen so carswell passes on uh these runes which give him a curse um and so the whole film is about uh dana andrew's character not believing in any of that trying to dispel it but slowly realizing that the curse of the demon is real yes and Spoiler alert, but it's right. Real. <laughs> um, yeah, and and burn which burn or night of the e- eagle. Um, so that one is a another college professor and set in the academic world um, at this college, and he seems to be in what just, in in America, right? In Eng- New England uh, or something? No, California? I think that one's in England. That one's it set is. in England. All right. Well, I think. Yeah, I got like I think it's like yeah. an it felt yeah, like an Oxford American, type. but yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, that one, he uh, he seems to have a blessed life. All the kids like his classes. He seems he's new to the school, but it seems like he's in line to get the chair position of the department. Um, he's got a great wife. All these things, and um, 
Sally Homemaker, who has something of a secret of her own. Right. Um, it turns out, he, you know, and he, he's teaching class at the beginning of the film, and he says, the way to dispel these superstitions is, I do not believe. Um, because these things aren't real. They don't have any power. They only have power in your mind if you let them have power. Um, when he gets home, he finds out that his wife believes, and she has an inordinate amount of uh, talismans and uh, protection charms. A significant about. collection, yes, yes. indeed. A veritable cornucopia. A cornucopia. <laughs> yeah. You know, he makes them destroy all of these because it goes in the face of everything he believes, everything he's mm -hmm. Um, and from that moment on, his life seems to just start spiraling downward. Um, and we won't get into it any more than that. No, really. but I'll just say one thing without totally spoiling it. There's a moment where he's given two very clear choices. One, do a very pragmatic thing that makes a lot of sense and that he should probably do for her welfare. And the other is to just do whatever the hell it is she's saying to do. And that fork in a road is like a really fantastic moment in the film, I think. And, um, I don't know. It's just my favorite bit. I like, I really, really love that. Like there's, there's something more to it. Just like, okay, I believe in the ruins now, or I believe in the curse. Now it's, it's that it's, it's that you're asking me to do something and I'm just going to trust you and do it. Even if I don't know what's mm -hmm. going on. Like I really, I really, believed in those two characters in that moment which was wonderful yeah. for me and the other thing i would say about burn which burn is the part of the curse on him going after his position is this awful very modern yeah. professor student sex scandal yes um that which i feel like way, back in 62 was had to have been super super risque yeah. even yeah. if it's done in a very pg way it, it still was you know Mm -hmm. I agree. And tricky. What? My my favorite element I, of, of both these films is I kept thinking of like, you know, this 57, 62, you know, the, the, that era, this was like the height of like scientific thought. We were, you know, space race and launching satellites and, and uh, you know, all these scientific breakthroughs were happening. And I love that, that, that that the reaction from some filmmakers were let's, you know, let's, let's challenge these things you know, it's a great fodder for, for these suspenseful thriller horror films right. uh, is that we can, you know, we can, we can challenge the scientific thought and, and say, you know, well, no, we need to um, you know, we need to remember sort of the, the things that, that uh that everybody believed in and we'll get you know and there's an, an element of that coming up in another film too of uh uh of of this you know the beliefs of the before and and now science is coming in and that's I, I you know kept they kept thinking of of that as i was watching both these films and um and just just they're delightful yeah. um I, there's a you know i i really i like both films my favorite is curse of the demon um, I think the direction by Jacques Turner is just outstanding in it. Um, he's clearly drawing on his experiences. Uh, he kind of got his big break uh, working for Val Luton, the producer, uh, who produced uh, nine films in the 40s, uh, where basically RKO gave him... Val Luton, Val Luton directed one of my favorite monster movies, The Abominable Snowman, and uh, Day the Earth Caught Fire, too, right? Is that the same guy? No, no that's Val Guest. different guy. 
different guy. That's a different Val from England. Yeah. Um, Val but this, this guy, so RKO would give him a title like, I walked with a zombie. Go make that movie. Here's $10. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, you know, so he just had to create these things. And he's a producer that all nine of those films feel like they're made by the same person does because it's his influence. Um, it was doesn't make... a pr- big producer's era back then more than I think it is now. Yeah. Right? Yep. Uh, so the three he did for Luton are Cat People, I Walked with a Zombie, and The Leopard Man. Um, and they're all fantastic. Uh, but Turner also did a great film noir called Out of the Past with Robert Mitchum and Kirk Douglas. You guys haven't seen it. That's a great film. Um, But what he's doing in Night of the Demon is, and what he meant to do more so than is is seen in the film, because he left back to America, I think, after shooting was done and didn't do the final editing. And the producer, who everybody hates, apparently, uh, put more of this of the demon in. Mm. He wanted to just suggest the demon. He says he never even wanted to show the demon, but I don't think that's really accurate uh because he had the production designer design the demon so i think he intended to show glimpses of it or whatever um but he wanted to suggest it which was what val luton's films all did they just suggested things and they they just had this atmosphere and dread that came from nothing because they had no budget for anything um and he he's really relying heavily on those tricks i think um and i think he does a great job Night of the um, Demon was clearly made in England because it feels yeah. it's a lot of location it. shooting and it feels very English. Uh, yeah. Burn, which burn feels re- very studio backlotty by comparison, yeah. but it's still yeah. very atmospheric and fun. Right. And I think it's know, better that they actually show what they show. I found it really fascinating and actually kind of terrifying. I have this old horror book I've had for 30 years and I've, it has, it's a, there's an actual picture of that creature in the Night of the Demon Arctic or, portion and i've always wondered what the hell it was so mm-hmm. it's kind of fun to find and be like oh now i know after all these yeah, years I, re- I really thoroughly enjoyed both of them actually and, you know I, there, there's a way to read both of these films they both have this moment or moments where you see something that if you're see if that's real obviously the supernatural exists um mm-hmm. night of the eagle kind of gives you the clue on on that part of it for for burn which burn that title if if you're following me and the demon is for a night of the demon. Um, but there's also a way to read each of these movies. Now that's not necessarily how I read them, but there is a way to read each of these movies as it's all in their head. There oh, is sure. an supernatural. Oh yeah. That's what I really like about these films too, is both of them have that. It's like, you know, is that the power of suggestion, uh, hypnotism or whatever? Oh. Yeah, that's exactly what um, Carswell said to uh, to Dana Andrews' character. Dana Andrews is like, yeah, they told me three days ago so that I have three days to think about this and let it sink in and really make me believe. You know, yeah. it's it's all part of that's That's the process of how they're going to make it work. Right. Well, and Andrews' character doesn't, uh, if I'm remembering it right, correct me if I'm wrong at the end, but he never experiences the demon either. Right. We We experience it from two different perspectives that really lends credence to the, that the idea that the thing is real to us, the audience, but to the, our, our hero who is the films largely from his perspective and a little bit from the, our heroine as well. She brings different perspectives, but he never, he, he, he does some clever things with about to fight and to 
manipulate the curse itself, but he never really experiences that creature, which gives you that out where if you're somebody who wants to it. enjoy it as being all in your head, you kind of can do that, which is neat. Yeah. My, my favorite moment, I mean, I laughed out loud at how brilliant it was, was then when they're on the train at the end and it's like, oh, here's your book. Oh, oh. no, I, that was here when I got oh. here. I mean, I was so laughing good. so hard. It was so well done. It oh, was no, that's not mine. so great. No, no, no yeah. Uh, what, and about and what about your coat? The, there's even a moment where uh, uh, now McGinnis is like, he's like, yeah, yeah. Oh, and so they know was... they know there's this game, and it's so good. Oh. So I was laughing out loud. I'm like, that's just so well done and hysterical. Yeah. Funny. considering think... what comes right after is, yes. is rough, yeah. but. Yeah, I think my two favorite uh, sort of set pieces in the film are uh, when he goes and meets Carswell at his um, his estate, and he's they're putting on the, the mm. fair, the, 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 yeah, little, yeah, yeah, children's show, magic yeah. show. Yeah, Boy, that's and the, the being weird. I love children demonstration <laughs> of his power or whatever. It's just really yeah, I think um, just yes. with some wind. Children yep. are very innocent, or whatever. That is creepy. Yeah. Creepy. Uh, my, creepy. my favorite, real quick, is is um, we get the you know, uh, we have a moment with the demon, and the demon is is very ominous and very slow. So cool. And then, uh, there's a moment where uh, where the demon has has picked up a person, and then all of a sudden, it's like, <laughs> and it goes was, so fast, it was really jarring. And I was like, oh my god, I did not think that that was going to be so I, yeah, I was oh, genuinely was, weirded out by that yeah. person's last appearance i'm like this is not this is really creepy like it was yeah, really it was surprisingly frightening my favorite was definitely dana andrews fighting the stuffed cheetah and the oh my god. oh the stuffed cheetah oh yeah. my god that was so great but i i love the, um the walk the mother, afterwards the, the actress that played the mother the, the walk afterwards actually yes. is really cool but yeah. you know the mother and really who's cool. the woman in it she's great in it actually I, Peggy, really Peggy, Cummings. Oh, Peggy Cummings is, is the, uh, his colleague's niece or whatever who becomes mm-hmm. a sort of love interest. And there was Dean Sailor uh, is Carswell's mother who's just... There was a line in there. I thought the dialogue was really smart. The Missouri line was brilliant. I don't know if you guys caught that. Missouri line. Uh, Where I can't I remember, remember exactly that. what it is. It's like, you know, people from people in the scientific community generally come from Missouri. The yeah, show me show state. Me state. It was really well done, and if you if you blinked, you missed. Oh, it. I didn't! It I didn't catch that. Funny. Hey, Michael, when I was yeah. a kid and I went to the the trial of the guy who shot Bill Hickok or whatever, I know you're yeah. intimately familiar with this. Yeah. Um, there was this chick in there, the Show Me State lady. She was from Missouri. Calamity Jane. No, this was just one of us. One of the one of the tourists. And she 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 got put on the jury or whatever, and she just kept oh, yeah. saying, "I'm from Missouri. Show me." She just injecting herself into the. <laughs> Show me. So Show me. So Show I did me. notice that in Night of the Demon, but it, I'm hypersensitive to it because <laughs> of, of this obnoxious Missouri tourist lady from my trip no, to the Black it, Hills. That was that was a really smart bit of dialogue. Very yeah. and, and again, blink and you miss it. And I, that's what I liked about right. it. Right. He didn't All do it. Scientific... He didn't I'm from Missouri. The show me state. It was very they yeah, downplayed yeah. it, which yeah. was really it was, so I thought some of the dialogue was really smart. Even the mm-hmm. um, you know, all the all the scientific 
gobbledygook was, you know, I'm like, I'm buying it. You know, I think it was, well, everything was sold very well. The screenplays by Charles Bennett, he, and he worked with Hitchcock a lot in his British period. Uh, so he wrote uh, the 39 steps and okay. too much and, and things like that. So he, he's a pretty good writer. It's for um, a really uh, hokey spook fest story. It's yeah. very smart and subtle script. Yeah. Very fun. Well, yeah. Both of these I, films I, are adaptations of, of some sort of well, very well regarded literary sources. Uh, Night of the Demons from ca uh, Casting the Runes by uh, M.R. James. Um, who's written tons of, of ghost stories. Uh, they have a tradition over in Britain where it's a ghost story for Christmas or whatever. They're usually, whatever episode or something they're showing during that time, it's usually based on one of his stories. Hmm. And um, Burn Witch Burn is from Conjure Wife by Fritz Lieber Jr., which yeah. uh, it actually won a Retro Hugo Award in 2019 for Best Novel. So nice. it's got nice. Have, uh, oh. good source materials. Real yeah. quick, I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention the fact that I've never seen Peter Weingard in anything but Flash Gordon. And you never even no seen idea. The Innocence? No, and I had no idea he was so hot. <laughs> I'm like, all I'm thinking about yesterday is, is Clytus. Clytus, I'm bored. Show me something. Your hairy chest. Maybe that. But it's yeah. like, I was really surprised. But he was you really were, good, too. I thought was he was, rough, a, really, it was yeah. a fantastic performance. Yeah. And uh, I, Janet Blair, is that her name? The, yeah. She was yeah, great, too. There's something about her. Pansy, yeah. yeah. But do you guys, yeah. Are you guys familiar with the, the Romero film Season of the Witch? Yeah. This I seems mean, very, that bit, yeah. seems very clearly inspired by this. I don't know if, if you've seen it in a while, but I was it's been a long while, but it does feel it feels like this was definitely an inspiration for that. I mean, I'm yeah, assuming so, especially with the, the these the idea that the, the, these aren't women out in the forest, you know, no, stirring a cauldron. They're yeah. everywhere, and and mm -hmm. you know, even in the even at the most pleasant dinner party, there's there might be a witch there. That that was. Yeah. Yeah, the two things well, very much share at least that much in common, which I think is very. And the cool. ending you, felt like yeah. the end of Mildred Pierce, uh, like that whole yeah. cliffside thing. I'm like, yeah. oh, we're out here with Mildred Pierce. Joan Crawford's going to walk in. Yeah. Um, what do you guys think of Margaret Johnson as Flora Carr? She sort of the ends up being the villain of Burn Witch Burn. It's okay. Is it that over a, the top? But I like a little her. vampy. But like, that's kind of what like you have to do. Bird and, or something. Mm -hmm. She's got she's got this bird like quality. That's, yeah. Yes. By the way, the chase through the hallway with that, I'm like, what? I mean, yeah. we're like, what is going yeah. on? It was really that was well so done. Good. That was well done, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So we're talking about two two movies with just really, uh, you know, kind of with special effects that are, uh, you know, that that are. Well, like the 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 reverse smoke thing um, in uh, in um, Curse of the uh, uh, of the Demon, and um, it's really one of the best reverse smoke effects I've ever seen. I mean, yeah, that's saying and a lot. this is like bats and that using it. It's really yeah. weird. It's yeah. like and using sparkles. yeah and using the and and being able to use that eagle in like clearly like some models, but keeping it dark enough where you could you know mat it over and um, and splice the two together. Just really, really good stuff. Well, we so got to move good. on to the I, next two movies. Yep. So we're well, never one more get quick thing. These. I thought it was quite funny. The fact that, I mean, the foreshadowing of the statue. I'm like, I get it. Mm -hmm. But I bought into it. I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm enjoying this. But I'm like, I get it. I, we know something's going to happen here. You know? mm -hmm. But it, got, was, it was great. I got just a couple more things I want to say how they these tied together for me. 
One, and there's two things I noticed on this last screening. I watched them as a double feature with George, showed him these films. Um, the conductor of the music for both films, not the yep. composer, is the, the same. Conductor. Yep. Matheson. And Reginald Beckworth, who plays the medium in Curse of the Demon when they go mm -hmm. see the yes. sand. He's also one of the teachers at yep. Witch Burn. We but, noticed that too. Reginald like, Beckworth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was um. That's uh, that's awesome. So as a double feature, I think we give these two thumbs up. I really like them, and thank that you. That seance them, scene, man, I totally was super them. funny because it it was one of those where it kind of has to be real, and yet even as an audience member, you're like, "Shut up with your stupid seance." But yeah. the, but his reaction, <laughs> Dana Andrews' reaction, was his. It was awesome. Yep. I mean, that's your you you as a. I just as an audience member, you get the authenticity of some of what you're hearing, but the mm -hmm. the fact that he doesn't, and you sort of love him for just being like, seance. Yeah, I just. I, <laughs> now, did I catch this? That, I enjoyed that. Um, the female lead's uh, license plate was something 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 six six six. Did I catch yeah. that right? Yep. Boo. That's right. Um, I had a license I, plate I, that was six six five once. The neighbor of the beast. <laughs> one other beast, thing that, beast, adjacent. Uh, beast adjacent in terms of double features is uh burn which burn is co is co-written by richard matheson and charles beaumont right. richard matheson wrote uh big time from it farewell then everything somewhere in time so literally richard matheson yeah. wrote all of it everything all of the things <laughs> um all right so now we're gonna jump forward a decade uh decade or two here um, and we're going to move into uh, a couple of um, Michael films and we're going to uh, that it is the uh, it is the wow. again, more of the uh, of the like the horror of the suggested, the horror of, of more of being films. vulnerable. I, I, I just meant that we were moving to Michael's films. I didn't mean <laughs> to make it sound it like out, that is not I, I apologize. I apologize it sounded like that. you know there are films and then there's there's Michael films. films. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I apologize that is that was not my intent. I just meant to move us to uh, uh, I get to, to the the films that that you chose the forms that the films that you forced us to watch um, <laughs> against our will um, and no uh, and and uh, no so we are going to move on to um, we have Black Christmas. And when a stranger calls. Yeah. Uh, Black Christmas I saw in college, like very post heyday of horror. And I was 100% horrified and actually screamed out loud, which that doesn't happen that long, often. But I think Black Christmas, even though you can consider it a Christmas film as well, it's Bob Clark who went on to do, of course, the Porky's franchise and um, oh, a Christmas just the story. One. Just the one. No, he did all three of them. He did directed all of I, those. I believe so. Maybe I'm wrong, but I almost certainly at least he produced right. that. I'm assuming he was on board for all three of them in some capacity. I suspect. Um, not. And of course, a Christmas story. Um, but it's uh, and murder I think by Black Christmas and Murder films. by Decree and a whole bunch of other cool things. Bob Clark's a good director. It's yeah, he is. It's why I hate to saddle him with the Porky sequels. Well, <laughs> I don't know for, for sure. Maybe unless he really I, is I, responsible. Mortgage. You know. I don't know. Joel's the research person. He, he can know. But mm -hmm. uh, the good thing about Black Christmas is that it's, you know, both films and the reason why it's a double feature, I'll just dive into that right away, is because it takes the, the urban legend of the babysitter receiving calls. 
I won't say any more because that kind of spoils things. But uh, Black Christmas is what I've always considered an, an immense exercise in just knife cutting tension. Like it's so slow in its burn, but it builds everything and it comes to just such a a crazy came out the same conclusion. year as as Texas Chainsaw Massacre, right? Yeah, and those those two films really and Black Christmas, Texas Chainsaw Massacre certainly because of the sexy title. But these two movies form the basis for good or ill, mostly ill, but when for good, for really good, the sort of what horror movies were about to become for the rest of that decade and for at least the first half of the 80s decade so the next yeah the next 10 years really and the one really neat thing that they share and i'll let you continue mike i know you're just into your intro but the one really cool thing that they share is they're largely they're both horrifically violent but they're largely bloodless exercises that they're not there aren't gore effects on display in them really at all which which both of them to some degree because the like i say the violence is rather profound in each film both yeah. are sort of remembered for being these horrible gory you know black christmas yeah. is often called the first slasher movie and it, it it is to a large degree but it it's clark's a sort of he comes from a different school and he's sort of classy and he wanted to make a more hitchcockian thing and by Mm. holding back what he shows on screen he makes it a couple two three times i think as impactful the violence and i think that's a lesson that is that we you know well i mean everyone talks about halloween being the seminal film it's like not really i mean it is black christmas it is psycho to an extent and it is texas chainsaw because everything else started to come after that like you said really sure hot and heavy so but i i agree black christmas is it's not what you necessarily see it's what you don't see because you really without spoiling you don't really ever see anything right you know and i think that's um i read something years ago that i always thought was interesting is the the benefit of the non-revelation in Black Christmas is what makes it work, whereas it doesn't, it does work in like Halloween. You get that explanation, mm-hmm. you know, in Halloween, it works on that level, but I don't think it would work in Black Christmas if we knew everything. I think it's better off not having any idea. And I agree. Than, it feels like a whodunit. It yeah. feels like that. And although the... You know, I don't know who it would be. The one, the big red herring in it, Kier Delia's character, yeah. clearly is not the killer because he, because because you would just never spend that much time trying to make you feel like he might be if he was. Well, the interesting thing, and I don't want to spoil, but there's always something I've questioned in the end of the film. I won't say it, but it's 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 something about his character mm-hmm. and an action that he takes, which doesn't make sense unless he knows something he doesn't supposed to know. Does that make sense? I don't want to be too vague, but the so whole ending is a head scratcher. Not really. I think all the evidence you need is there. Um, there's a, I don't want to call it a plot hole cause that's not what it is, but there's a real, you relying on a real massive sort of incompetent act of stupidity to get to the <laughs> end of the movie. But, but we're given plenty of evidence that that certainly could be true too. So it, ending of Bob Clark's Black Christmas is great. It kind of makes the movie. There is not this moment where, you know, without spoiling it by telling you what doesn't happen, but there just isn't this moment where the cop saves the day or there's no moment of revelation. There's the survivors aren't 
helpful in filling in any of the blanks. Like right. the, the usual things that you get at the end of the film of this is absent all of that stuff. And th that makes it stick with you for a bit longer, I think, than it would have otherwise. Agreed. And, and I think one of the benefits of Black Christmas, too, is that it has such great sense of humor. I mean, Mrs. Mack, you know, the, the house oh. mother. Yeah. I mean, she's great. It's a great over the top body performance. She's so much fun. And it has all that wonderful extra stuff. I think the performances are really solid. I mean, Margot Kidder, Olivia Hussey, Andrea Martin's amazing. Mm -hmm. Andrea and John Martin. Saxon. I mean, the cast is just one after the other. Solid, yeah, yeah. The guy who performers. plays the dumbass deputy. The, yeah. oh, the Pam, what's her face? The Canadian actress from mm -hmm. Strange Brew who plays the first victim, I guess we'll call yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. They're all really, really good. And even when they're not good, they're, there's something whether the camera loves them anyway, if that makes any sense. Yeah. And, and, I mean, and I think Clark knows how to juggle them. And I think he did that in the edit too, in a really smart way. So that what you end up with is really, really good. Yeah. And I mean, one of the other things that I was, I've always found interesting is kind of the, um, the abortion subplot. Yeah. Because it's, it's interesting because it's where it is in time, but it's also makes for one of the most frightening moments in the entire film. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's I mean when when that is brought up again, it's just it's yeah. like a it's a bomb dropped. I remember when I first saw it, I'm like, oh my God. I saw an interview with Olivia where she was actually it was not an interview, it was at a fan event, which she tends to avoid, but she went to one eventually. And they just asked her about that. That was really forward thinking and all this, and she just was Olivia, if you know her, she's this very classy lady. Yeah. English lady, and she just kinda like and in and, and this, she's just this kid, really. And, and she's just like, they just needed something to talk about in between all the killings. <laughs> so she was given this, I, this mo I just thought that was really funny. She was given this moment to bring some profundity to, the, to her yeah. discussion of this film, which you would think Olivia, of all people, would be wanting to do. And instead, she's like, no, nah, no, nah, just killings. And then that was just some stuff they threw just in there. Just killings and we... We thought an abortion would be fun. Yeah. <laughs> but it's not there by accident. And it, it's no, not it, something it, that is just mentioned. Like, it's a thing that's going on that you oh, feel well, it like plays a huge, very much it plays part a huge of it. part. Yeah. 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 And, it, so, and it plays a huge part in in what what the characters believe is the uh, is the end of this saga. Um, so, well, I think just to transition to the second double, the second part of the double feature is that in this, I think the strength and what I think is amazing about Black Christmas is that the audience knows the entire time. Yeah. We know. But it's the fact that even when the revelation comes, it's still. And that's that's a testament to the filmmakers and to Hussey's performance. Yeah, yeah. Because you're like, I we already know this. But the right. fact that when the news is delivered, it's still right. another bomb. Like, that oh we go God. through it with her when she goes through oh, it, man. even though we I already know it. Goosebumps. That's just, yeah. That's that is the film's masterstroke. I completely agree with you. Yeah, and yep. so I mean, going into when a stranger calls, I mean, we don't have that same insight, and I think that it works so beautifully in that film, which is seventy six or seventy nine. I can never remember. Uh, seventy nine. Um, um, but you know that it was a short film. I guess it was uh, Fred Walton's, I guess, like final film product or project for for class. For a class is, I guess, the first like 20 minutes of the film. And then he expanded it into a feature, which 
I'm like, I can't imagine he didn't get an A you know, on, on that <laughs> well, first 20 minutes. As a short I mean, film, when a, when a Stranger Calls is perfect. Well, this as, is as a feature it, film that lacks a lot. No, as it this goes. is this is this is what is is interesting. Shut up, Joel. Is what I what I found <laughs> the last time because I watched a double feature of When a Stranger Calls and When a Stranger Calls Back, which I had never seen. This was a few months ago, so I was so happy to revisit it. But I think what really works for that film, other than the opening and closing, which are very similar as far as just tension and mm-hmm. insanity, the finding out the character is unheard of in a film like this, you know, to get to know who this guy is. I think that's a stroke of genius. Yeah. Rob said there's something similar that he really liked that. I guess I feel like we don't get to know him. I feel like he's a bit of a cartoon psycho. See, I don't think so. I think he's, there's, there's so much um, drama and pain and, and to see him kind of have those flashbacks of what he had done, which is, more horrifying than anything else in the film. Yeah, that will definitely agree with you. But it's, I think that's, and I like the, I like the obsessed cop. Like I like the elements of that. I didn't think it was bad. I just, it, it, it's, it does feel like it's patched together. It feels like it's a beginning and an ending. And then you got this whole middle act. That's not, you know, where we're not with that. We're not with the same central character that we start and end with, which is weird. It is weird, but it, it works for me. I don't really, I agree. It's like, I want to follow someone from the beginning to the end, but well, it is not, such do a something different. Detour. I'm cool with that too. You don't always have to obey the rules, but it is a big departure from what the rules are. We can at least agree on that much. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's, it is the first 20 minutes because I read about this as a kid and none of my video stores growing up had this film. So reading about this for years and years and years and years, I finally got it, I think, at Premiere Video in Fargo. Yeah. That's where I finally found a copy of this. And I believe we had a movie night and a bunch of people were over for it. And those first 20 minutes delivered so hardcore. Sure. Like it just I that even even perhaps, you know, weaknesses of the rest of the film, which I don't think that's terrible weakness. No, no. Is the is the. I didn't mean the to imply was, that it was. No, I just no, meant that it is. It is. It's a such a humdinger of an opening that. You, yeah. It's, yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> it's twenty minutes. It's twenty minutes of of pure, like scary perfection. I, um, it's so good. I have to tell you about that that first twenty minutes. For many years, I thought that was the entire film. Ah. I I saw it in my dining room on a little TV. It was dark out watching it and i think i was so freaked out that i had to turn it off but i i thought that was the end of the movie and i 20 minutes felt like i had so much tension and horror and everything that it felt like the whole movie and i don't know if i ever babysat again after that (laughs) (laughs) even into adulthood when the phone rings and you get like there's nobody there or you know, if you get a crank call or something, yeah, night out, it just it freaks me out. I mean, the thing that I again talking about things that you don't really see. There's one of the calls that I think it's later in the beginning where she asks him, "Can you see me?" Mm-hmm. And you'll notice that the top of the staircase is not in frame. Yep which means he's standing there looking at her. And when you start to puzzle piece those things together, it is terrifying to know that he's right there. 
He's looking at her. I know that's sort of spoilerish, but I mean, if you know the old babysitter, no, I, I, phone I don't call, think you can really spoil the opening. I mean, that's act a common thing when a stranger but, calls. But it's, I, it's been spoiled by dozens of other movies yeah, at this point. Yeah, honestly. well, that's I mean, and, and that's what I was going to say. Going kind of going with what you said, Rob. I mean, for years I thought that uh, the only exposure that I had to it was, I just say the first exposure I had to it was there was a there's like a sort of a documentary clip movie uh, that donald pleasance hosts and terror and, in the aisles thank yeah. you terror in the aisles all about horror movies and all stuff and that was like that of course they show i think they, that movie the even starts out talk, pretty much yeah. the whole thing and yeah. i'm like oh yeah that looks, that's a creepy that, that looks like a creepy movie and i bet that and, and i did i had no idea that that was just the first 20 minutes of a longer piece yeah uh until until movie night over at michael's dorm one night yeah but it's it's a great it's a great piece too. I mean, Colleen Dewhurst is fantastic. Durning's great as always. Although how does he throw that door completely off its hinges in the chase? Yeah, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> but Colleen's working really hard. Rush. I agree with you. She's, it, she's put in a tough spot by a screenplay that well, she's, sort of it's, just, she's a weird. Well, she's weird, yeah. but I don't mind that so much. It's, it's, they put her in this situation that as time goes on, the attrition in her character being able to be reasonable becomes intolerable to me and she just sort of stays calm and reasonable the entire time yeah with this you know with this dude even shows up in her house and i think there's some magic in our killer too he's i don't think he's a particularly good actor honestly or no, but no, i disagree me too <laughs> i thought he he's what sells the middle of the film you know Guys, he he's never been in anything of any person. significance but this. He died, died right, right after right this after film. Right, because shot. he's an alcoholic and because he was super insecure and scared. They had to but keep that, talking him off the ledge to get him out in front of the camera when he was making this thing because he thought he sucked so bad. I feel like there's a lot of magic in that. Like, there's a lot of this weird guy being weird in front of the camera that isn't technique that is really just something that the this director was his friend so he was able to keep him going he was able to cast him even though the studio didn't want him there's also do we see a picture of this guy and then there's some other guy halfway through the movie why does that happen who's the who's the person that we show standing at the door or whatever in the still photographs at the end of the beginning of the short film well, that that's Charles Durning. Well, Char he opens the character. door, and Durning is. Which he opens there. the door, it's him. Oh, and it, the snap zoom on that—that's Charles that's Durning. Durning. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. It but looks it's, like I mean, some other person altogether. I don't think it's a cool. perfect film, but that I, makes it I, make sense. I think that the 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 actor. I think the the fact that he goes to Dewhurst and he just really wants to be her friend. It's really it's very sad. Yeah, you know, and I think that he sells it completely, and he's just so desperate and down on his luck. I yeah, disagree, poor, Ryan. I think poor it's a child really good murderer guy. He just wants I, a friend. Well, no, but that's that, but that's is. what's so Most interesting child about murderers it. do. Here, I, because what are we ever going to see that? In? I mean, we no, never I, seen that in a film like. I'm this. following you, impressive. but at the same time, I know this guy's killed these kids for some weird reason. So I'm not sympathetic to him i'm sorry i enjoy watching him get beat up by a bunch of rednecks i wish they'd have killed sure. him that's where i'm coming to the movie I, well, from not, and i think a it's a legit me place sympathizing with what he did it's a matter of that there's an opportunity that they're trying to make him sympathetic by showing him well it, it's more interesting jacket. watching a guy who's his own hero that part i totally agree with and who really is earnestly trying to connect with somebody 
you know, like like Dollarhide in in uh, Manhunter or Red Dragon, whichever one you're watching. He, there's this weird moment where this guy who's this monster like has this chance at happiness with this other person, and as an audience member, you're like. The, it, the story does sort of make you invest in the relationship somewhat. But I felt like Dewhurst, you know, she's she's very kind to him, but I think she's humoring him. I don't think there's any real connection there. No, I don't know. That's oh, not, but that's, yeah. I don't agree. There's no connection. She's right. being nice to him because she's being nice, whatever. But the fact that he... Or because she's scared and that's the best way for her Yeah, but I mean, he clearly to... just wants a friend. I don't think he would have hurt her. That's what I think is interesting. Maybe well, he's just child. I can't agree with you there. Eventually he would have killed her. When when I think of these, he would have. I mean, if that would have continued, he eventually he certainly would have killed her. No question. He, in his own mind, he would have just because he's a killer. He's a psycho. I don't feel for him. I'm glad he's dead. <laughs> Spoiler right. alert for when a stranger calls. Yeah, but I do love the weird twitchy <laughs> guy. Like I love that actor in that part, which is the point I was getting to, even though I don't think he's a particularly great actor from like a making choices or making sense sort of way. I feel like that's what's amazing about it. it there isn't any conventional games going on with him. And it's, it's cross cut constantly with Durning, who's this old pro playing this very clear through line, you know, and, and then you get this weird random psychoness, whether he's being sweet or whether he's murdering somebody, it's weird and crazy and you don't get it. And I find that is very compelling, but I don't think he's. And I think that's what sets this film aside apart from everything else. I mean, mm -hmm. there, it is such a weird center yeah. portion of the film, but I think uh, that's what's you, interesting. Do you have, do you, because both of these films, Michael, uh, I'm directing this at you since you chose these. Uh, do you, uh, because those are both uh, sort of that babysitter uh, uh, folktale trope yeah. for i don't mean trope in a negative connotation yeah. i just mean you know that that sort of uh uh structure do you have one that you like better oh black christmas hands down okay there's no well, question I, it's a be better made movie for sure it's a better and made yet, movie and it's more terrifying and yet when a stranger calls because of that first 20 minutes is the probably the more well-known more famous yeah uh, maybe almost among horror made twice among horror fans, Black Christmas really is a pinnacle film. In a way, I think it's not quite with the general public. Yeah. Sure, sure. Uh, yeah, both I mean, films I, have been remade. Black Christmas been remade twice. Twice. Yep. And uh, oh. yet, I, I and and I only mention that you know, saying it's more famous uh, because I mean, um, Scream. The whole opening of Scream is, Clearly. you know, is is clear is more when a stranger calls yeah. than it is Black Christmas. Yeah, uh, and, and which which is where a lot of a lot of uh, next a newer generation of people were exposed to uh, that story, that babysitter um, idea. Yeah. Um, so I'm sorry, Rob. I think I interrupted you, and you were about to say something. Well. When I when I thought of these films before I rewatched them, um, and I think what most people who maybe aren't super familiar with them, you hear the titles, and if you're familiar with them at all, you probably think, oh, those are both slasher movies. Mm -hmm. Well, um, Black Christmas is, is sort of a prototype of that, but there's no gore. Right, but it, it, it you it's have to of, say it's a slasher. The, movie. the final yes, girl definitely. Yeah. There's a there's a a legacy that comes from that 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 evolves into a mm. full slasher movie uh this is missing when a stranger calls isn't a slasher movie at all awesomeness it's... of the grossness or whatever mm -hmm. um 
But when you come to when a stranger calls, it's not a slasher movie at all. It's a thriller, more like um, it's interesting that you mentioned like Manhunter because I what I had in my notes when I was watching it was Silence of the Lambs. Thinking of like you've got this villain who for me was really interesting. Um, you know, so you know Hannibal Lecter is really interesting in Silence of the Lambs. I mean, that's a fascinating character, but he's a horrible person. He does horrible things. But he's a fascinating character. Yeah, but felt, this, I felt this, similar. This weird I mean, little, this this weird little guy is not Hannibal Lecter. Um, that comparison but, is not you know, close. Maybe, maybe he's got a little Buffalo Bill in him, but even there, he's it's not much. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not comparing. I'm just saying in the in terms of there's there's this. If you super character. like serial killers and you want to spend time with a particularly <laughs> cuddly one, this is definitely the movie for you. I'd agree with that. Oh my god! I'm not saying that's an outlier in our society. There are people right. out there who are super into serial killers. Right. If you haven't seen When a Stranger Calls, you're missing the one of the best ones where you really get to where it's really the killer's movie, and and you know you should check it out because that's for sure. He's really really interesting, a super interesting screen presence and interesting character. Um, no. I, the other thing I want to say about these these movies is um, just for me, it's always fascinating how one thing evolves into another. And uh, I like seeing John Saxon in Black Christmas uh, because he was in uh, Mario Bava's The Girl Who Knew Too Much in 1963, which is sort of credited as being the first Giallo film, the Italian uh, mm-hmm. film style that, that it really evolved into what became the slasher films in North America. Kind um, of. And, I mean, and North so Americans sort of are, are typically not capable of giallo because they don't have the artistic pretensions. So I don't right. think there's much of a connection there. Yeah. But Except novelty well, deaths. I mean, that's what ties it all together. That's, that's what, what it ties it all there's these films together. There's usually a mass killer. You don't know who it is. Yeah, but giallo really, like, they're non sequiturs, not, not even knowing what's happening. What does this even have to do with the plot like it really is about these weird set pieces more than it's about some sort of story or whatever with the jalos yeah well no. with argento and, and any there's a mystery it makes no sense usually right it's always like a whodunit a mystery right right there, there's some but it's that willingness to a, a, to embrace the absurdity and the we don't do that as americans i don't think but that's another right. discussion yeah. Well, I think uh, speaking of Jallo, I think we should say Jallo to Ryan's films now. <laughs> ah. That's my segue of the day. <laughs> a, um, no complaints from me, uh, man. You earned you earned your money for this episode. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, no, we're gonna move on. We're gonna. Um, so we now we have uh, 1981 and 1983. Uh, it, so these uh, these great sort of coming out of the 70s into the 80s. Technology is 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 on the rise. Um, and Ryan's films. The first one is. Wolfen, and the second one is The Hunger. Well, remember, I'm a host of a movie podcast where we've done 12 to 15 sort of scary movie episodes. So I had to pick two, I had to find two movies we hadn't talked about on the show yet. I know not everyone here has listened to every episode, but that was a challenge. And then when I, and I was able, I was able to come up with three. 
Wolfen, uh, The Hunger, and I wanted to do Wolfen and The Lady in White, but when I thought of The Hunger, I'm like, you know, that's that fits Wolfen. Like, that's a really good double mm-hmm. feature, actually. So I went with that one, even though I don't like it as much. And then it turns out, and this was an afterthought, but it turns out they're both based on novels by Whitley Strieber. I thought that was why you chose them. Well, no. I ch- I mean, chose that is kind of why I chose them. They go together really well, and that's clearly, it's not a coincidence that they're written by the same guy. Yeah, the but technology But no, I didn't, I didn't choose them for that reason. That was a happy accident. Um, I just didn't know that. They're the two novels, the, the two good novels that Whitley Strieber wrote before he got abducted by aliens. And we won't go too much into his life or, or lack thereof (laughs) at this point. But, um, but he was a really promising horror novelist who wrote really substantive things. Wolfen, although it's abbreviated somewhat, apparently Michael Wadley was only, the only other thing he's ever done is Woodstock related stuff. He shot the Woodstock concert film and this was his first, first feature. It turned out to be his only feature. Um, and he, it's a bummer because he brings a lot to the party, right? From yeah. a stylistic standpoint, yep. from a, a integrity in storytelling standpoint, that's it's full of that, and it's thematically rich. I think thanks to Whitley and and Wadley embraces that instead of you know skirting over yeah. it, which I'm grateful for. But he he just wasn't a bit of it. He was like a lot of first time directors who'd had success at something. He was a bit of an egomaniac. His first cut of the thing was three hour, three and a half hours. You know, <laughs> he was fighting the studio on every little decision. Um, so was that, and he finally eventually had final cut taken away from him. One of the really neat things he did was he insisted on Albert Finney being the lead in this. I, it's hard. You got to go back in time to 1980, but everybody, every guy in Hollywood wanted this role for some reason. It was a very popular and accomplished book that was being turned into a movie by this dude, by this baby boomer hero guy who made the Woodstock film. And they all want to do it. Most famously, Dustin Hoffman fought until the end with the studio's backing to star in it. Wow. And and Albert Finney, you know, no slouch. He wasn't quite Dustin Hoffman in 1981, but he's not a slouch. He's an Oscar-winning actor. He was Michael Wadley's favorite actor. <laughs> and so Wadley insisted on him. This is another thing where he got his way, but the studio, you know, the, it's all this tension between Warner Brothers and him, or Orion, I can't remember. Orion. Who. Yeah, you know, fighting over just trying to make this film somewhat commercial. That's the behind the scenes stuff, which there's tons of it, which I'm very interested in. But in front of the camera, it's just kind of an amazing dreamlike. It's very violent, but it's very weird. And the thing that's most powerful about it, in my opinion, is it captures this pre... Um, it captures this part of Manhattan, this grungy, ugly side of New York that just you can't find it there anymore with real mm-hmm. estate values being what they are. That it, it captures this pre-gentrification Manhattan that isn't really on film much of anywhere except in this. It, with these amazing widescreen images of these mm-hmm. neighborhoods that are just burned out husks of places. Um... And that there's this magical something wild and and something from the old world, you know, something from America before Europeans were here that's going on here. It's just very compelling to me. And I just so I really Wolf and I really quite like a lot.
Well, I this was my first time. I think I saw little snippets of this one morning when I was a kid on early morning HBO getting up for my paper route. And I'm like, what the hell is this? So I've never seen it. And out of all the films that we talked about, other than Black Christmas, which is my one of my favorites, I loved Wolfen. I Yay. thought it was fantastic. I I, yeah. I was super, super engaged. I loved the performances. Whoever, I can't think of the female actress. The Diane Venora. Wow, where is she and what has she done? Because she was amazing. She is. She's in that? everything. <laughs> she does a ton of stuff. Yeah, she does a ton of of She was in FX. Stuff and, she's in Heat. Yeah. She's in. Oh, okay. The Jackal. She's in all kinds of things. Yeah. Okay, but I'm just not familiar. Diane's an interesting actor. Diane's a lot. She's she's a different kind of person. She brings the ugly. She's incredible. We talked about her in Heat. She's incredible in Heat because as an actor, she understands that her character is a foil for Al Pacino's character. And she understands that okay. that yeah, yeah. she's, she's only got a limited amount of screen time and she's got to hit the thing really, really hard in that sense. And she just, you hate her in it. You hate her in it because he doesn't hate her, but he's constantly frustrated by her. She just feels like the small petty person in this world of all this horrible nightmarish stuff. And I, I used to hate Diane for that because I didn't get it. I, I used to dislike Susan Sarandon for similar reasons that we're going to talk about in our next movie because I didn't get it. I didn't get that these actors were rather bravely getting in touch with the dark side of these people while still somewhat being able to advocate for them. And I really was confusing a, a set of characters with qualities of the actor themselves. And that's was a huge mistake on my part in both cases, honestly. She's great in this. She's yeah. much more of a, this is, she's younger in this. You know what I mean? So she hasn't quite grown into that dragon lady actor that she becomes later, but she's, well, she's fantastic. Gregory Hines is fantastic Hines? in it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I was just really enamored by this and yeah. I, it was a great, uh, great dialogue. It was very snappy, you know, but never sounding too clever for its own good yeah. you know it just it all felt organic and it was with them and my i won't say much more other than i really really loved it but the the sequence where they walk out with the cop into that in wall street that square or whatever mm -hmm. that blew my mind yeah like when it all started to go down elwood and i are like oh <laughs> my god like it was just yeah. so you know it, and it was and edward james almost i'm like who knew he had a hot body but hey good for you yeah, back in the day. But it was, and if you I can really, get over really the like fact it. that he's playing a Native American, he's well, fantastic yeah. in it. Well, him and the older actual Native American, like it was a that was very much Ed, especially in those days, in the Blade Runner days, and he was a really cerebral and like crazy man when you hired him, but he always brought something sort of crazy and original to your project. So if you could tolerate all his little hobbies and all of his questions and all of his mountain of suggestions for how to make the movie better, you got something sort of special out of him. He, him and that other actor had this sort of mentor, th you know, student yeah. thing like they do in the movie, but in this very, I'm going to learn all this stuff and we're really going to represent this stuff in a spiritual way. And I think that comes across in the film in a really cool way. And not to mention that the, just the, if you're scared of heights, you know, the, that, I don't, I'm like, how in God's name did you get the rights to be shooting up there? I and mean, then how did you do it? It was a different because era. They're clearly up there. Yeah. It was yes. a different era. Yeah. It was a different era. Like, <laughs> different, yeah. And then make, yeah. Cities up there. I'm like, okay. 
your big your big Oscar winning star is up there with the little safety harness, and it's just like yep. ah. yeah. The, fil- the film at was a time scary. when at was, a moment yeah. where he did, he unharnessed, you know, he's not harnessed, and then he has to harness himself. Yeah, okay, that wasn't done with CGI. Mm-hmm. No, yeah. <laughs> I, I hadn't seen this film since I saw it on cable, probably when it first aired on cable. Mm-hmm. And but there are two things that stuck with me. For all the years in between, snakes coming up through the toilet, yeah. bite you on the ass. Since I heard that, I've always had a fear of that. <laughs> and um, when when he talks about when uh, people get their head chopped off, it would stay alive for a little while. And oh those two things, about one in five. Yep, I've forgotten everything else of the film. Almost those two things have stuck with me since I was exposed well, to them and traumatized. That, that follow through with the cop and the scene that I was just yes. talking about. I'm like, yes. oh, I love shit like that. Sorry, I love stuff like that. It's like, you you set this up way earlier and then suddenly it's paying off. It's yep. so lovely. Yeah. And, and, and it was paid, and, it was, and, and, and again, like, like, and we talk about this in movies, it, it paid off and it was like, it paid off and then it was done. It wasn't like, hey, yeah, yeah, see yeah. what we did? See what right. we did? We yeah, paid, you know, we, we it was yeah. just, it was just there and done. And if you caught it, great. If you didn't, then you missed it. Um, and it's, and, and you're poorer for it. Cause it's really great. Um, I love, yeah. I also loved Wolfen a lot. Uh, I love the, 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 the cool po- point of view stuff almost, you know, I, it was, I mean, yeah, it was really great. I, I loved that. Um, that you it was a, it's i mean it's very famously used all the time now but but yeah the first time most people noticed it was in the predator films where you get this filtered camera mm-hmm. uh infrared sort of predator vision that's yeah. way back in wolfen some six years earlier they 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 do that with from the perspective of the wolves we'll say um well yeah you know it's, go ahead go ahead no, well, I was ahead. just going to say it's really interesting that uh, the Steadicam operator is, I think, listed in the opening credits because it's so important, right? You know, for the film, I like, I love that he was credited right in the opening credits. I'm like, there you go. That's yeah, because yeah. you're important. Yeah, you always are. Yeah, that's just a particular thing for that film. Well, Can Steadicam was still relatively new invention, so it was a special thing, and it was a whole unit. In, on this movie that yeah, yeah. was responsible for a good good deal of a very important footage so yeah it's it is cool to see that i agree what what was the runtime on this it's ex- almost exactly two hours okay yeah. So well, yeah. from his first cut yeah although you know that's there's legends with that first cuts sure. are typically not paced properly assembly right. cuts you can't say oh there really is a three and a half hour movie here but there probably isn't right. um but, but nevertheless, he, he delivered this thing, a first cut. I don't think we lost tons of scenes or content so much as they just... Fluff. It might explain to me They just why c- tightened the pacing on literally everything compared to what a, he was doing. A note I had while I was watching it was, and one of the downfalls for me, um, you know, if they're downfalls or whatever, mm-hmm. um, is that it felt like sometimes we were going to places or checking things out that were never explained why we were going there, how we got there, why mm-hmm. we're checking that out, right. why we're doing this now, why he's out here doing this. Um, 
you know, and I, and I wonder if some of that's what was cut out. The, it's the stuff. certainly Which, possible, the reasoning behind that stuff. But I've always taken it as the film is an investigation. The, our lead character is a cop, a rather, a, not a very special one, of a rather conventional one, in fact. Mm -hmm. And uh, investigations do lead you down dead end paths and stuff. Sure. I mean, that is just sort of the nature of them. I feel yeah, like but that's... that's what was missing is, is I like an investigation where like we get a, okay, let's check this. Let's run down this lead. Let's run down this lead. Yeah. And this was just like, we showed up here. Why? I Why didn't, did I didn't notice mm -hmm. that Rob. It that didn't stand out to me as odd. Like, I guess I'm, I'm more of the, of the idea of what Ryan said earlier. The whole thing felt like a dream. Mm. And I don't know if it was, you know, because I was battling a cold, it was late at night. You know, I think it, right. it all Could have really, been the drugs. It, it all, yeah. Yeah, whatever, you know, it all really clicked for me and nothing stood out to me as less than or apparent uh, as far as shortcomings. So I didn't yeah. see that. I see what I understand what you're saying, but that didn't dawn on me. That well, I, I totally know what you're talking about, too, because I've seen this a bunch of times, but it. Again, I'd never, the, even the scenes aren't about the scenes, you know, even the scenes where they're investigating, they're looking for the answer to a specific question. But what you're getting is this, that's coming, what's coming through are these weird relationships between these people, him and his partner, or whoever, yeah. them and the scientist, these bits of strange philosophy, like there's, it, that's the stuff that's the meat mm -hmm. of the thing, as opposed to the where's and why for us, which if you super think about it, aren't that satisfying in a very conventional way but that's why i sort of like that it's not a very conventional approach to get there either i feel like it all mm -hmm. sort of fits at least in that way but i do kind of know what you're talking about and absolutely yeah. could be like the batman versus superman effect where they, you just chop enough little bits out that it leaves questions lingering right you know that may mm -hmm. maybe aren't important in the end but it leaves them lingering in a way that can be a little bit off-putting but i yeah, i think the whole film is off-putting in a kind of magical way so i yeah. i'm down with that i guess well, what yeah. um, i have a question for you guys in general because i thought it was a really weird choice to have gregory hines get the first actual view did that seem weird to you a little i mean it, like why it seems like that should have waited mm. you know why did hines get the first actual look it was great it was a great moment but i'm just it felt really weird like why is why does he get it? <laughs> That's a good point. That's interesting. I mean, yeah. there's a reason. I mean, there kind of is a reason, but I know what you're saying. Um, I guess it has something to do with potato chips. Um, Very loud. That the opening the beer was hysterically funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. With the sound <laughs> thing there. Yeah. Um, uh, I, so I, I also like, I mean, it, one of the great things that we, you know, and we have this point of view of the sort of, it's an infrared point of view of the, as we're going to, we're just going to call them the wolves and, um, and, uh, then, the you know, and that's, we'll call them the, the wolfen, wolfen. <laughs> the wolfen juxtaposed with this whole technology of this super security firm that uses yeah. this essentially yeah. the same technology as a, as a, uh, as a um uh, uh as a lie detector test and and other things and uh, <laughs> i yeah i loved i loved i, I loved that um and um i love yeah, you know was, i love the 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 all the mirrors at the end and i mean I, there's just some great. some really amazing <laughs> like stylistic that. choices that so, even what you're talking about joel there's a reason for in the story there's some things in this movie that are just gloriously visually wonderful for no reason, mm -hmm. just for their own sake. And I find that delightful as well. It's, I think you could say that about our next, about, about your, uh, about the second yes, film. And even the more, feature too. even yeah, more even style more. for its own sake than this one, for sure. Yeah. 
So, and that, of course, is, uh, as I mentioned earlier, The Hunger uh, with uh, with Catherine Deneuve, David Bowie, and Susan Sarandon, I believe is how it's pronounced. I think you're right. I'd give everybody <laughs> French pronunciations for their names. Yeah. Oh, David Bowie! Oh, David Bowie! And, this this uh, was Susan fresh Sarandon. in my mind because when Charles de Lazarico was on the show, he was he mentioned this in passing, basically, but it... it it made me go, oh yeah, Warner Archive just put this out. I, you know, I didn't like this movie a lot when I was a kid. It, I, I, it. What did we just say when we were off camera about uh, there will be blood? It impressed me more than I enjoyed it. You know, which yeah. is still the case with with hunger. Yeah. Um, but I, I just, rem- but still, something about it, something stuck with me. So I was like, oh, I haven't seen that in forever. I should watch that. It's like in high def and widescreen. That'll be. I mean, even if I don't, even if I like it less the second time, it's going to look better and I'm going to get this sort of visual experience that I know I can count on. Um, there's a great online review that I was telling Joel about the other day that some guy who he's dismissing the movie wholesale, dismissing it, which I don't do. But he but he he made a funny about it that I have to agree with, which he says it's like an hour and a half long Ultravox video. Um, yeah. Which if you don't know who Ultravox is, you know. They're an 80s band that didn't quite make it big here, but are they're a very super new romantic-y, spiky hair, yeah. artsy-fartsy band, and their videos were very smoky and very slow-motion-y and just people walking down long hallways and stuff. And and that you get a lot of that in this, actually. This yeah. is my first time seeing this. Yeah. It's one of those ones I can't believe I haven't yet seen it. But all I knew going in was lesbian scene and curtains. That's all I was. That's all I knew. <laughs> hey. And and, and I believe that is the and even if that's all that you the get AKA. out of the hunger, you had a good but night I, at the movie. I believe I was, that's the AKA on this. Much like Rob's were like you know has the night of the you know night of the eagle is AKA burn which burn. I believe I believe the hunger is AKA curtains. lesbians and curtains. Yes. Well, Catherine, I, I was, say her I name for me again, Joel, so I don't say it wrong. Uh, Susan Sarandon? No, no, that one I know. Uh, Catherine Deneuve? <laughs> Catherine Deneuve plays an ancient Egyptian vampire living in New York in an upscale apartment. Um, and this film's plot's not very important, but I feel like we need to give it that little bit of setup. Um, she's she's had a variety of uh, vampire companions throughout the years. Her latest is David Bowie. They seem very compatible. The scene opens up with a little... Uh, they pick a couple of unsuspecting chic, like cocaine snorting kids up at, at this club where Peter Murphy and Bajas is playing. I thought it was Peter Murphy. How funny. Yeah. Bella Lugosi's dead. I think that's Bajas's best song. Yep. The whole opening of the film is, is like a music video to that almost. Yeah. yeah. Um, very cool. I mean, I don't know how great it is, but it's very, you have to say it's very, very cool. Um, it's cool. <laughs> it's really cool. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, they eviscerate these two people and they enjoy, you know, wiping the blood off their, they're evil vampires, you know. We, we've, because of Twilight and just everything, Interview of the Empire probably started there, but it really, we've romanticized them to the point they tend to be our heroes and things when they show up and stuff. These guys, while the film takes them seriously as people dare we say they are and who have weaknesses and frailties and insecurities and all that good stuff that makes for a good movie we the first thing we see them do is just this 
act of pure hunger and evil and it it just it, you just you can't forget it as you're watching the rest of the movie and there's only one to my mind notable other sort of killing in the thing that is because you've had this opening this whole scene before anything even happens is just wrought with awful tension and pure horror, and I still think it's one of the most horrible murders I've ever seen in a movie. I remembered that from when I saw this as a kid, and I, I reacted to it even stronger now. Michael, that sort of goes along with your article, I think, a little bit. I'm just too sensitive for that thing now. Mm -hmm. Even though I knew it was coming, and I made my peace with it before I watched the movie again. I mean, it's, it's not... It's, it's, not it's not gross not graphic, or explicit. It's the, it's the idea of what's happening. Exactly. But the idea is everything. The idea is everything. Yeah. It's the most powerful thing that you have. And this film, in a good way, in that scene, I think reminds us of that, that the, the idea is, is horrific. And Catherine's reaction to it is that it's, it's, it's evil. It's maybe lawful evil, but it's evil nonetheless. It's that, oh, now I have to deal with this kind of... There's, you know what I mean? she's yeah, evil places set up for it so exactly they got, they got everything handled they got everything they're good and she will probably won't yeah. go to jail for it and she's got centuries of money stored up so you know there's no consequences for her and she's disappointed but it to me that it's that dis emotional distance that you know we're used to these vampires as these passionate things which they kind of are but that emotional distance from us, the fact that we're their food, and even when we're not supposed to eat this kind of food or that kind of food, if we break down and do it, it's not a horrific, awful thing. It's this disappointing failure, like you just went off your diet or something. But Maybe I, I'm describing I like, that I like wrong, that. but I found, I, think... I found that horrible as well. Well, no, I like the fact that they were distant. It just, it just to me, cemented how old she is. Yeah. She's seen mm -hmm. and done it all. There's nothing that's going to phase her at this point. Right, right. And I, I like that, you know. And Bowie, I, Bowie's terrified, his breakdown, because he's oh. her vampire companion. He's lived a long, long time, we're quite certain. He's but he's so good. He's coming to his end. He's disintegrating right before our eyes. And that performance, he's terrified of dying. This immortal monster who's terrified of dying. It's very. Well, that's the sad thing. He won't. He's just yeah, yeah, he's away. yeah. It's I, I yeah I yeah. Spoiler um, alert! But Jesus, I'm with you. I that, I was really yeah, I love it. Yeah, the 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 whole idea, and I I love that little I love that little twist on the whole vampire uh, mythos of you will have eternal life, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to have eternal happy, happy. youth. But yeah. you're not gonna yeah, like yeah, it. Yeah, and and it's um yeah, and I I thought that you know, and then there's. I, well, and I, her, her Bowie. Quote, I loved Bowie in this film. Her oh inability God, or unwillingness so or both to quote release him is yeah otherworldly, ununderstandable, and creepy and terrible, which I liked. I, yep. um, yeah, I'm, this was my first time, and I it's been two days, and it's still kind of lingering in my head. <laughs> right. Even after I watched all of these movies, you know, kind of back to back to back, this is still kind of sitting there, and I don't really know why because I don't think it's great but it's i don't think so, so either but interesting about it. and visually mm -hmm. over the top i mean it's like i'm like if i see one more curtain i'm just gonna break out laughing but that's all it is 
You know, plus it's Dan all... Dan Hedaya, right, Rachel? You know? Yeah, good yeah. good old Dan Hedaya. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah parent. I'm like, hey, Dan Hedaya, look at you, you're so young, you're so but skinny. I think, uh, I think Sarandon's great. I think all performances, the three leads are really solid. They're because Sarandon's so... great. Cliff De Young too is really really yeah. good. Um, mm-hmm. but Sarandon's really really good. It's it's sort of her movie, and the movie introduces her kind of late and loses track of her even it's when kind she's of on two screen. movies yeah it's kind of two movies that, yeah. that's you know that's the thing about it is it's this it's this movie with uh catherine deneuve and david bowie mm-hmm. and um Which and, I was surprised and catherine deneuve and susan quickly. sarandon anyway, yeah it was uh yeah it was uh it was uh, yeah i, do, I, I, I have to point out the it. fact that horner did the score and there are exact replicas For both of them. Was it is it, was it Wolfen that I'm thinking of that had actually Horner did aliens? the score for Wolfen. I don't the the score for uh, Hunger is Charles Delura, but it's almost entirely classical music. Oh, okay, because then that's it was Wolfen that I was thinking of. Like there are exact cues that were used in Aliens. I mean, like exact. I don't. Know well, I've always said, and I'll just say it again: Aliens is a very celebrated score that has literally not one original note of music in it. I'm like, wow, that's that's straight out. Of watch, movie. watch any of James's movies leading up to yeah. Aliens. You'll hear the entire score, everything. The well, only thing yeah. that he came up with that was new, and it's a humdinger. I'll get you. Is that's it? Yeah. Which he steals from himself. Not seven minutes later. It is nevertheless. <laughs> That's it. All the rest of that is the Klingon music, the Wolfen music. I mean, the list goes on and on. The 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 you know he they gave him like three days to do that score, and and Gail Ann Hurd and James Cameron were just yelling at him the whole time, and all oh he could God. do was just steal his own music <laughs> and get the hell out, or steal <laughs> classical music from other more famous science fiction movies that yeah. weren't his or theirs. Like he just stole, stole, stole the whole thing. And then got an Oscar nomination. So, you know, who knows? Well, I want to say just as a side note, I'm really glad we did this. And I want to do these more often if we can. It's like all these movies that I've now experienced for the first time. I'm, that I'm was kind of Rob's mission to... statement, truly. Yeah, it was I, mean, yeah, I really yeah. like that I got to see all these things that sh- I should have seen. Last you know, thing like I want to say about ago. The Hunger, mm-hmm. and then we really have to get to Joel's films. Um, and with, I try not to spoil it, but it's hard not to... The, the the book has a really clean, clear payoff. Our hero has a very clear choice. It's a, a fork in the road choice. Do you do this or, or do you do that? And she chooses something. She makes a choice that's obvious. In the film, it's not obvious what she's choosing. She puts an end to some stuff. There's definitely some catharsis at the end of the film, but... She's, she seems to have it both ways in a weird way that eliminates the choice from it. And Sarandon herself has said uh, that depressed her in a way. She signed up for this story and she thought she knew what the story she was telling. She thought she understood the choice that her character was making. Right. She connected with all that and they sort of, they shot all of that and then they sort of edited it out into this much more Anne Rice sort of ending. Anne Rice yeah. isn't on the scene yet, but it, it really does have that kind of, well, you know, you go through all this and then you to end with, man, vampires are, are cool and sexy, huh? Seems like not the right place we're supposed mm-hmm. to be in at the end of the movie. And I, 
agree with Susan on that. So I'll, I'll just yeah, say real that. quick, uh, Rob, is there anything you, you, uh, uh, yeah, you didn't really I say, to say anything, about the hunger. Did you, boss? I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, well, the, the hunger, there's a couple of things. One, uh, I watched true romance recently and also directed by Tony Scott. And right. As soon as this movie started, I like, boy, you can tell a Tony Scott movie when you see it. <laughs> I don't Curtains. know if it's the lenses he's using, the film stock he's it's using. Editing. It's a lot lighting. in the editing, his yeah. style. Yeah, just, two. You know, yeah. nails it. Yeah. Um, and two, I'm glad we did this because I think I understand the ending now. I didn't understand what was happening. I, I at the end, not not the final end. No, no, but I, I know what you're saying. About, it's but, disorienting. Yeah, I'm like, wait, what's going on? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Why did it go there? It, it felt like a different movie to, hey, maybe we need up the gore or effects work or something. Um, it, that kind of took me out of it a little bit. Although I, it was Dick Smith that did the effects, the makeup yeah, effects. They were they were good. Well, they're great, and they're shot. And it, it, you know, no offense to the great makeup artists of our time, but you can be one of the best if somebody shoots your stuff with a lot of front light and just you know doesn't yeah. have creativity behind the camera. You you end up looking stupid. And Tony really shoots the hell out of everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's yeah. the one thing we can definitely say about him. When all else fails, add billowing curtains. Indeed. Terrence Malick certainly Um, agrees. All right. So you guys get to choose here. Do we want to go with, uh, well, along with Wolfen, there are other wolves. Well, Wolfen, we didn't say it, but Wolfen Um, was part of the 1981 werewolf trilogy of the Howling, American Werewolf in London, and Wolfen. It's true. That's true. Although it's sort Um, of not... And it definitely stands out in that group as being something different, but yep. that was called the werewolf revival and, and, and your and next film. Or, or we could go with, you know, who also gets hungry and that's Gary werewolves. Busey. Oh, yeah. Gary. Oh, that's the best. Okay. So, so put the nail in the coffin of the werewolf cycle revival. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. The werewolf cycle ended uh, just a few years later with my first movie. Uh, no, I went with a, uh, you know, I went with a, a, there is a werewolf in our community double feature. Uh, and my, so my movies were silver bullet from 1985 and the uh, 2021's werewolves within. Um, and, uh, and I went with werewolves within because, uh, I hadn't seen it and it was new. I wanted to see it and I knew it had a werewolf in it. So, um, uh, but let's talk about silver checked bullet. First. All the boxes. It yes. checked Joel's requisite boxes. <laughs> uh, it, yes, it did. Cause it also had, um, you know, actors that I really like. And, uh, I love, I love Sam Richardson. I love Melina Ventrub. Uh, anyway, uh, silver bullet. They, they though, never first work night- again. How dare you? I'm serious. Uh, that's their penance How, for werewolves no. within. But let's start with Silver Bullet. Now, Silver Bullet, 1985, uh, based on Stephen King, Cycle of the Werewolf. Uh, I, I just, I, I, this is a movie that I watched a ton as a kid, and I hadn't seen it in a very long time. I was very curious to 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 look at it through a modern lens because it's, uh, you know, it's a it's a uh, kid uh, with. Uh, you know, a kid with a disability, which is obviously something that is very important to my life now. Uh, uh, children with disabilities, I, it's something that I, I, I and so I wanted, again, I wanted to like 
oh my God, I want to see this to see how, how does this, how does this affect me now? Kind of goes with what your, 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 um, your awesome article, Michael, um, that you wrote about, again, like what, what Ryan said, revisiting some of these things now as you're older through a different lens. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah. And, you know, and silver bullet is, is the story of, uh, of this, of this small town where, uh, where, you know, people are, people are dying off and, and, and um, of course the, you know, there's a kid who thinks that it's werewolves and, uh, and the only one he can sort of get to even humor him. Uh, well, he, he convinces his sister, yeah. he gets his sister in on it, but the only adult that he can sort of even convince to go along with this as a, as a lark um, is old uncle Gary Busey. Um, and this uncle is Red. This, uncle Red, Red Gary Swillin, Uncle Red, Gary Busey, man, at his at his most wonderful Buseyness. You know, this is Busey before going way off the deep end. But this is this is Busey as Busey. It's so good. Ah, come on, it's Busey, and um, it's certainly not him at his best. No, um, his, so I can't you know, give you that because he's good and stuff. He's good and. Point Break. He's sure. good, and he's you know an he's Oscar actually good in things. Actor, yeah. and you could not tell it from Silver Bullet, right? Oh, come on! I I thought he was, he, you know. Oh man. Okay. Uh, the bu- the business has turned up to eleven. We can all agree yes. on that, at least. Mm-hmm. Look, for sure. Okay. I I had not seen this in probably thirty years. I don't remember much. Um, the thing that was interesting is that, shut up, Joel. <laughs> shut up, Joel is as terrible as it was, I sort of liked it by the end, which is hard to kind of I had the same understand. reaction. I have the same reaction every time I watch Silver Bullet. Because it, it's, it, is, it looks... It's incompetent film. It's not good filmmaking at all. It's, it's very... It looked, and I, I hate to say this, you know, budget constraints, it looked really cheap to me. Yeah. Like it just... In the choices made for the filmmaking, it just... It looked clunky and unpolished. And it's sad because I think, you know, Corey Haim at that age was adorable and amazing. And he's really actually good in this. Megan Follows is really good in it, too. The the two of them sort of act circles around the older adult characters. Oh, for sure. But it was just, I mean, I think a big problem with it was the music was terrible. And I realized as I looked it up, I'm like, this is the same guy that did the music for the inner light Star Trek The Next Generation. He came up with, you know, Picard's flute thing. I'm like, how do you have that? And then you also have Silver Bullet, which always felt so weird to me. No, it just, and I, and I, that's what's strange. I, I liked it. I didn't like it, but by the end, I'm like, it was kind of fun. I, that's, that's all I can really say. It was enjoyable, but not well-made. Watching it again this time, I felt like this could have been a, a good low-budget horror movie if you hadn't cast Gary Busey. Because he just took me out of the film. Every he just doesn't act like a real person. No, he doesn't. He doesn't. <laughs> but I, I really and... think the films from the kid's perspective, and I think it's winning in that way. The the Stephen King's adaptation of his own material is weird because he has He's this not weird. A good yeah. Well, he has this weird. Like I'm writing this this girl telling looking back on the summer of her childhood oh, the narration there's all this strange oh, ray that. bradbury-esque like winsomeness to it and then there's just these brutal nasty werewolf splatter yeah. effects in it and the the two i and this sort of weird you know like steven's typical weird religious sort of 
uh, aversions also play into this. It's I, I enjoy Gary in it. I don't know. You guys hate him. That's cool. But I think he's fun in it. He sucks, but he's fun in it. He's fun in it, and the movie can use a little fun. Terry O'Quinn is pretty fun in it. I think Everett McGill's right. actually pretty fun in it, too. Yep. So, And Kent Broadhurst, the always appropriately named Kent Broadhurst, not, not quite the recognizable name amongst these other guys, but whenever he shows up, man, and has to panic or freak Which out about something. He? Which character was he? He was the guy whose son is killed. Oh my God, he yeah. was actually pretty good. Well, good in a off the, the hook, turned up to a yeah. hundred sort of way, which is all <laughs> Kent knows how to do. Kent Broadhurst. Again, I will repeat his Broadhurst. name for you. Yes, may the name of Broadhurst suggest a broad performance coming to a theater screen near you well, soon. I, you I, I thought all that was fun and stupid. I thought the terrible attack of the werewolf out in the woods with the awful face torn up and the like it just all is terrible and he he seems to capture only the worst cuts of each performance and they all seem to go into the movie in the most clumsy way this was a first-time filmmaker who i think sucks and i think his career has sort of shown that but i that's his only feature film he did but the, the only thing i and even chataway's music which i get what you're saying how can he be so good at one thing and bad at another well it's it, it's simple it's because Chataway's good at music and he sort of sucks at being an element in a film. And even his Star Trek work is very much that way. He's very, listen to me, I'm doing the music. That's how all his episodes are. When he was asked to write this very pretty thing that's very musical and lyrical, he nailed it because he's a really good musician, but he's a pretty crappy underscore artist, if you ask me. Um, it the What I like about... And then I'll shut up. What I like about Silver Bullet is it feels like everybody's trying. Busey's trying. The kids are giving it a go. The makeup artists are putting it up in front of the screen. The director's got everything paced crazy and maniacally. And I, uh, just as a point of comparison, I really, really appreciate the effort. And by the time it's over, I'm kind of like, it's it's bad, but it's that good kind of bad that I can kind of get behind. And that was my reaction to when I saw it on TV late one night several years ago. And the, the widescreen high definition does not help it. Ugh, crop it. <laughs> make it blurrier. It, that makes it better in a weird, crazy way. It makes yeah. it cheaper and shittier. And you can digest it a little easier. Like... With all the warts and all hanging out there in high def, it really did look that, terrible. That's, that's, I think, the takeaway. It's like, as terrible as it is, I didn't hate it, you know? But it's... it's. I, I even it just, admired it, just, it a, I mean, a little you know, bit. You know what the, the moment was where I'm like, wow, this looks like it was made for five cents. The <laughs> fog sequence. I'm like, yeah. this is yep. terrible. This yeah. looks awful. It's like, are they... I mean, did you try and fake that you're on a soundstage? I mean, because that's it. It's just little things like that that take you out of it when you're yep. looking at it. And it's like, this isn't I'm not buying it. You know, I um, I also love um, my, my favorite scene is the werewolf fever dream. Um, it, the, oh, that's the, great. It, I love it. I love yeah, the and so my good. favorite is the organist, the organist in the fever dream. Uh yeah. And uh, uh, doing I believe like that's a, Jay Chataway's mom. No, I'm just making stuff up. I'm sorry. I shouldn't do that. And uh, yeah. Uh, so yeah. And um, it, I had a, I had a blast watching it again. Stephen no, King. I, is Rob, it a, what do you think? Well, I mean, it's, it's a novella, 
you know, I, I talked to you when I, when I, that's no excuse, Rob. And well, it, it was originally supposed to be a calendar and he was just supposed to write these little vignettes Uh and he was like, found that too construct constricting. So he wrote out a novella and published it with the art of Bernie Wrightson. Um, the whole book, I have it here, Yay. is mm-hmm. uh, you know, filled with pictures. It's 128 pages. That's including the title page and the afterword. Total, there's got to be like 70 pages of text or whatever. So it's very much a, a long, short story. Mm-hmm. Novella is almost pushing it. Um, you know, and, and when he works in that format, he's going more for the horror. That's not my favorite aspect of Stephen King. My favorite aspect of Stephen King is his characters and the relationships and the bond you, you make with them. I don't even think of him as a horror writer first and foremost. Outside the two kids, yeah. there is not a yeah. lot of that going on in this. Yeah, movie. exactly. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Well, and, even but, that feels clunky, even though both performers are great. It, it, I mean, it that, is badly that, written. And, and they had to ruin yeah. it when they say, I love you. I love you at the end. And then the narration comes in. I'm like, oh, God, it just, you just, you just killed yeah. it. Michael, what did you think of Gary Busey? Fine. I, it, exactly what I anticipated. <laughs> it's like just <laughs> over the top. But I, I, I don't know who said it. It's like, it's just, I couldn't connect with him because it was just too much. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's like, I, yes. even the way he grabs Corey Haim to kiss him, I'm like, okay, you're just, it's just weird. It's like, like you doesn't know how to violent. act. Like, I guess. I think he, it felt like somebody put a video camera up. Like, let's get the neighborhood kids together and let's make a movie. We don't know anything about movie making because we're ten, and so everybody just stand in front of it and say your stuff. It's like they had to do that with him because I don't know. He just like he just screeches his line. It just he, here's here's oh, what I would say. He feels dangerous, like yeah. on set. Well, do you know what I mean? <laughs> sure. Uh, I I guess I guess I it's always worked for me because he's always seemed like a guy who has no idea what to do around kids, and yet he, um, you know, he loves them because he has no kids of his own, and his Jake, life is Jake a mess. Jake and Corey Haim hung out on the set of this film. This was the movie that made Jake yeah. want to do movies. So I, I don't mean I don't mean Gary Busey doesn't have kids. I meant the character oh, you mean doesn't, Uncle have Red kids doesn't have kids. Uncle Red doesn't have kids, and so you know this is these are his you know his only you know his only outlet to children. Yet he doesn't know how to relate to them. Well, and he's a big and, dumb child himself in a way. Yeah, who, exactly. Who trying so, to pretend to be an adult. Some yeah, of that is some of that is in the movie, but it is. And so that's why I guess I forgive a, uh, I, I forgive a lot of what uh, what I'm hearing as uh, as as, you know, stuff that doesn't work. It, it, it worked fine for me. Um, and I paired it with uh, with a movie that just came out um, called uh, Werewolves Within, um, which is a 2021 uh, movie um, starring Sam Richardson um, and. Um, I'll, I, I, it's, uh, it's about a, a forest ranger who, who uh, gets assigned to uh, a, a small town um, and, uh, it, it, you know, in the Redwood and, um, you know, and then people start dying and um, yeah. Um, it, I, I, I didn't dislike the film, but it didn't work on all cylinders for me. Like the production values were great. Performances were good. The actors were engaging but it just tried to be more clever than it was. Like the dialogue was always trying too hard to be goofy. And it just kind of took me out of it. 
but I mean, like the effects were good. I mean, I, I can't really say anything bad about basically everything other than it just didn't work. You know, it just was not quite, yeah, it was too clever for its own good. It was very much, uh, yeah, I would agree with that. It was very much trying to, uh, you know, as, as Ryan warned me, if this is like a hipster comedy horror film, he was never going to forgive me. And I <laughs> expect that I will never be forgiven. Um, Cause that's exactly what it was. And I, I chose it sight unseen. I hadn't seen it. It's not like this was a movie I saw and like, no. Oh my God, you guys got to see it. Uh, <laughs> I just, I thought it had some interesting people in it and I wanted to give it a go. I'll let so Rob, I, Rob go next. Rob had a somewhat charitable reaction to it too. I thought. Yeah, I, I did. I, I went in with super low expectations. Um, and you know, when I was done, like, I don't love this film. I ranked the, all the double feature films and it's number seven for me. But what did it beat? I, what silver bullet? Silver bullet. Yeah. <laughs> oh. yeah. Which again isn't terrible. I'm glad I watched it again. I got things out of it. Um, it it's better than I remembered it being. But this one, I you know, it it doesn't add up. But it had moments, and uh, Sam Richardson and Milana. Vine Trouble. Yeah, uh, I really Trump. liked them. I liked their relationship. Mm-hmm that kept me in in the film uh at times where i probably would have checked out more um i kind of i really liked sam richardson i yeah. i have never seen him in anything i don't think well that's a big uh-huh. reason i think joel recommended it we all i i it's hard not to like sam richardson but <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not enough i mean i it you know that's not enough. i wouldn't recommend this film but i don't i don't begrudge the time I spent with it. No. Um, yeah. And I my time's not terribly valuable, but I do, and this is why. It's a it's a comedy that's not funny. It's a horror movie that's not scary. It's abhorrently violent for no reason other than to make you jolt. Which, if it gets you once, that's a, enough. And there's eight other times where someone's head gets blown off, or someone's limb gets blown up, or somebody, you know, whatever. Uh, it, it, the script is lazy and awful these people were all given this chance and there's no crime that you made a crappy movie because it's not like you guys said the effects are pretty good it's not an incompetent movie the camera work especially when they're outside is is you know well done if i'm trying to look for something nice to say about it but i just feel like this is everything i hate about movies now you don't care about any of these people you're not supposed to movie doesn't want you to give a lick about anybody you might find uh, our hero, you know, somewhat sympathetic, whatever. But this he's, he's this weird, old-fashioned sitcom character uh, working alongside this, you know, what's her face, Lily from the AT&T commercials. And it, you're watching it going, this just all artifice, all superficial. It's all just to make you giggle, but I didn't giggle ever. And, and it's gross and mean and awful. And that's what these films are when they're not scary or when they don't mean anything. When you literally line people up to get all chopped up and chewed out for no reason other than light entertainment, you are throwing, you know, you're either throwing human beings to the wolves or you're throwing, like this movie, you're not even trying to make them human beings. You don't want the audience to feel anything. You certainly don't feel any romance. You don't feel any horror when anybody dies, even if it's somebody that you think you like. It's all garbage. It's the worst kind of content filler that is out there. And for that reason, even though it's hard to hate because it's harmless enough, and I do forgive you, Joel. I don't forgive anybody involved in the making of Werewolves Within. But 
I owed you one, so this is it. You, you get this one. Well, next time Next time you suggest a movie that I have to watch for the show that you haven't seen yet, you better be damn sure. But well, other than that... Why I very rarely suggest films. Well... It's like the well, same reason I don't get CDs for Christmas presents because nobody I, wants to be. Well, the thing is, horror horror comedies are notoriously difficult to do. But you can do them. I know my best. But you got it starts always, with you ha- trying to be scary and funny yes, and not just blowing everything off. The benchmark is always for me, Shaun of the Dead. It works on every single level. It's funny. It's terrifying. It's emotional. It's wonderful. I don't know why people that aren't that are going to go out there and do a horror comedy like that's your concept. That's what you're going to be hired to do. Right. Why don't you go look at Shaun of the Dead as an indicator of how to do it properly? I mean, obviously, you don't want to take beat by beat because then you're just plagiarizing. But I'm saying, how did this succeed? Because we cared about all these people. They're hysterically funny. It's also terrifying, emotional, you know, because we care about everyone. I think that's the big thing. That's the thing that's like, entirely missing from werewolves. And you, don't, you don't. I mean, you, you, there's some charisma there enough. in places, but there's no effort to make any of them matter to you because the film just wants to wipe them all out. And it really doesn't want you contemplating what that even means. And if that's where your starting point is, then why on earth should we well, go along with you? That's what bothers me about films that look good. They obviously had a budget. You had some name actors. You had people, you know, then write a script that is going to accommodate the fact that you have budgets and people that are noteworthy. And but it's it's always the thing. It's like that stupid old saying. It has to start on the page. And that didn't that didn't happen here. No, I don't think so. I I have to disagree with one thing you said, Ryan. Mm. Uh, Pretty much only one thing. The other things I get. Yeah, but it didn't offend (laughs) me as much as it. Right, right, right. Um, is that there is no romance because I actually really liked the relationship between the, the budding relationship, the romance, the romantic comedy aspect. Okay. I, for some reason, those two performers were just engaging in a way that I really liked. I really liked their give and take. That's, that's and why Joel suggested it. I was it. really disappointed in the twist at the end. And I, Well, the twist at the end, if, if you were buying into it, which I wasn't, but if you were buying into it all, the, the twist, such as it is, should spoil it all. And I will say, Joel, though, that as a double feature, they're both werewolf whodunits. Like, there's a lot of parallels and stuff. It's a pretty damn good double feature from a thematic and structural standpoint. So I'll give you a If you like crappy that. movies. So. Well, they're both, they're both crappy big movies. pieces of crap, too. I think one shows you how a, just a little heart, just a little heart, wins the day somehow, at least in spots in Silver Bullet. And this this film over here has no heart. It has no heart. It's a send-up and aloof. It's not. It, it's wanting to entertain you, which is not the, an evil thing to do, so I don't want to go too overboard. But it just... Yeah. Just do it's better. Bad, just do better. Put something to, of... To you don't have to be serious like I like that. things or poetic about everything, but put put something in it. Something of yourself. Some heart. Just not just I saw a werewolf movie once and here's a jokey version of one. That's not enough. Do better than that. For God, love of God, just please try. I don't even feel the effort in that film. I, it, the actors are, yeah, they're decent enough, but that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter in the end. It doesn't help. If anything, it oh. makes the, what you're talking about, Rob, more disappointing when you actually get to the bitter end of the thing because it's all for not, for nothing. There's nothing here. Yeah, except that that's 
but that's the but twist. I think that Sam that's Richardson what... and the Mountain Man they could become a thing, right? They had some rapport. Uh, maybe. maybe that's maybe that's where yeah. uh, spoiler alert yeah, for werewolves within, where... but they're still standing at the end, so maybe wishful thinking. Yep. Yeah, maybe. Um, all right, so that's a sequel uh, that I might show up for, Michael. <laughs> okay, that is so. That is our creepy, spooktacular double feature. We kind of ran out of time. We don't get to do our big Q and A. But does anybody have a quick, like, roundtable question for everybody, just about these horror movies or about double features in general, Rob? Well, I I, I don't think this can be a proper segment, but maybe we can end on a different note than yeah, where uh, it then sucks well, and everybody okay. who works on then it should be fired. That question. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here's here's my question. Um, so we're doing horror double features. Uh, we all have different relationships with horror. Michael is horror man, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I have grown into an appreciation for it with certain subsections. I like classic horror. I like hammer films and I've come to appreciate some other things. Uh, Joel, you, you were sort of more into like the slasher films when you were younger. If I remember that's true. That is true. Yeah, that, episodes yep. And stuff like that. Ryan is sort of not the horror guy. Um, <laughs> but I've seen, I've seen more way? horror movies than a lot of people, but I, you're right. I'm yeah, not you, a horror guy. Them, that's but true. You, you really don't want to do a horror themed episode unless there's a way in that you can be positive. Yeah, you you won't get a countdown of top ten Jason Voorhees murders. Right. right. No, you won't. <laughs> Why are we all that way? Like Ryan, was there a film that you saw too early that really turned you off and you just it, put it, a block it's, against? No, that? it's not the films. Oh. It's what I just talked about. It's. It's the it's the bloodlust. It's sitting in a room full of my friends when I was a teenager, you know, when things are hard and you have all these anxieties and stuff and just watching them all revel in these people getting eviscerated and killed, watching them enjoy that and giggle at that and laugh at it. I, 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 at the, when I was a kid, I found that abhorrent. I hated it so much. So the films of that era in particular, I really can't stand. It helps that they're not great. There aren't a lot of really good artistic achievements back there. I have gone back and, you know, gone back and like tried to hit on the pillars of things. We talked about, I mean, I thought I talked pretty lovingly about Black Christmas, which at the time I would never have liked. But now that I'm watching it as a cinema fan and not, not in that ugly setting, like I can take it as that, and then now I can appreciate it as that. Uh, t- you know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre would be another film where I-, I would never have accepted that in that setting, whereas now I can watch it and be sort of amazed by how good it is. So there's, so I've evolved a lot in a way. When Joel and and Michael first met me, I really, you were at the end of the '80s. It was all. It was all put upon, jokey, punchliney crap. Is all Nightmare on Elm Streets and Chucky and just all it and it's all this crap is coming back too, which is makes me my head just hurt. It hurts. Um, it's, I hated that stuff. So they when they met me, like something like Candyman or something, which we all watched together, and a few other things. I just was very very resistant to it. I think I've gotten more. I think it's a testament to Michael that he even was like my pal and liked me at all because I really hated horror movies <laughs> like a lot when, when at that time and I'm much more open to them now. 
but I'm open to them as movies and I can appreciate them as art and I can watch them sort of here in this own setting. I've talked about it a million times before, man. The, the, the Saw movie commercials where it's night vision and they're just showing the audience jump into each other's laps. Like if you've watched a Saw movie, what's on screen in front of you is this repugnant, awful stuff. And I can take any level of repugnant, awful stuff if it's respected for what it is. And I and I will, and I'll accept it on that level, and I'll even I'll even relish the chance to go through a dark experience like that with cinema if that's what you give me. If you just if it just date movie jumps, and that that's why you enjoy people losing their limbs or watching their children die, or if that's what you're into, then I just kind of don't like you. And that's kind of how I've always been. And like I say, I've my what do they politicians say my opinions about horror movies have evolved I, my thinking has evolved on the subject like it it truly has and i'm grateful for that but i didn't like that man i didn't like that i didn't like that i didn't like that they were all into it and that thought it was a big joke i just find mortality and humanity i don't like seeing them effed around with for laughs and for cheap punchlines and for cheap gags i hate it and I still hate it to this day, but at least at least I can take it a little differently. Sorry for the super long-winded speech of an answer. Michael, why do you love horror movies? Um, I like It's because it's for similar reasons. I hated them. That you were able to escape into them in ways from sort of the similar kinds of pressures and things that I was going through. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, I think it's just... I liked being scared, but it, it's such a perverse thing when you think about it that when it really all started is, is I was so terrified by things that, that I still have nightmares about them to this day. So I don't, I don't understand if it's just a sort of like a defense mechanism or something along those lines, but I don't know. I mean, I, it's where I want to be even, you know, talking about that article, it's like, even though I'm getting soft in my old age, it's still where I'd want to be, you know, watching all these new movies these past three days. I, I love that I'm experiencing new things. I mean, you'd think, after all these years, I'd seen everything. I'm like, not even close. You know, there's, I just like being there and I like to be scared and intrigued. And, and I think it kind of goes to my, my writing as well Is like, I like to put people in a position where it's basically hopeless. And then you have to figure a way to get them out of it, you know, based on who they are as a person. And I love when, when horror is character driven, I think that's more interesting, you know, because if what you said earlier, if I care about them, then it doesn't matter what's going to happen. Yeah, is it ultra-violent? Yeah, I'll get past it because I like the characters, you know? And I think it's, overall, I think it's the stakes in horror. I mean, there's there's no bigger thing than life and death. So to, to go into that every time you watch a horror film is is interesting. It's like there's right. there's no easy way out here. And I think it's fun to see people try and, I mean, I think that's why I love Final Girls so much. I love seeing people being resourceful and, using their brain. And, and one of the things I've said about my own writing and, and really good horror is I don't like the cliches, but if you can put someone in, into their, this position and the audience is like not saying, Oh my God, you stupid idiot. They're like, that's what I would have done. And then that still doesn't work. That's brilliant writing. And that doesn't happen that often. You know, I like to see people get out of it, but they got to really work for it. And I think that's part of it. I think it's the the struggle of seeing these characters. And, um, but I mean, it, it is just old fashioned 
it's fun to be scared. So. Joel. Mm. I, I, yeah, I, um, I, I just want to quick point out that, um, I, I also would have aimed the um, the rocket at the eye of the um, attacking. So that's that I, I hear what you're saying, Michael. Um, no, I, I mean, no, for me, I, it, it's I think when I was younger, uh, you know, when I, uh, it was just that it was um, it could it was just the the, the basic, um, you know, the good versus evil. Um, it looks like evil's gonna win, and then good triumphs. Uh, good triumphs at the end. Uh, I, I mean, it's it, sure it was. Uh, you know, uh, I had I for whatever reason, sure I was completely desensitized to the violence, and so it was just like, oh yeah, well, it wasn't about. I I, I did not think about the death. It was about what what creative way are they going to have sure. someone die. Uh, and, and, and so it was, yeah, they, nothing was real. It was all fantastical. Um, and so it, you know, there's, I I think that's why, and then I, you know, I, I, you know, kind of grew out of it just because my interests changed and frankly, I wasn't going to the movies or watching movies as much. And so when, when it came time to, uh, you know, when, when I did have time to watch a movie, I, there were other things that I prioritized. So, um, yeah, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, it was, uh, that, I think that's kind of where, that's where horror ranks for me. Um, Good question, Rob, uh, right? Do you, do you guys feel, um, real quick, do you, do you guys, uh, is it hard with everything going on and all of demands placed on, our time, whether it's uh, with work or with family or with whatever, do you find it hard to dedicate the time to a double feature? No. Watch, watching a couple movies in a, in a no. night. No. I mean, no. It's if, no. If I really want to make it happen, it'll probably happen. Two yeah. weeks from now, uh, I don't know what the hell we're going to do next week, audience, so no tease for next week, but Two weeks from now, 23-ish scary movies from this year. We're going to go through them one by one, just like we do every year the day after Halloween. Yep. And, yep. you know, so no, I wish... <laughs> so a bit of a deep thought. I wish, I wish I had something pulling me someplace else to do anything else, but that would... I, that, I don't have that. So this is what I've got. And it's what I turn to. And no, I watched every one of these double features as double features in order with a popcorn break in between. And I mean, I yep. did it all because I could. And I could have watched two double features in one evening if I'd really buckled down and focused. You know, like I got nothing but time to hang out and watch these movies. And then, g- g- blessing, you know, I have this chance to talk with Joel about them every weekend. I wrote mm-hmm. a little bit about that on my own wall last week. So however bad things are, it's neat to be able to do this and to talk about the things you're passionate about. And it's super cool to have friends like Rob and Michael who have their own passions that they bring to the show. Like we're really, really lucky to be able to do that. And I, you know, so I may lament that I'd like to be able to go to the basketball game with someone, or I would like to be able to go to my kid's soccer game, or I would like to be able to do anything some nights, just go out to eat with another person who cares what I think that isn't on the podcast, but I don't have that. So I got TV, I got movies and TV and music. That's what I spend all my time with. Because just sitting here with my own thoughts would be intolerable. To, to expound on what you're saying, though, Joel, too, about fitting that in a double feature in 
it's actually easier, I think, for me to fit a double feature in because it's like, hey, tonight we're watching movies. Yeah, here we're setting the schedule Tomorrow aside. Yeah. Show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The next Plus, night Rob, look where you are with your popcorn machine in the background. You're in the movie <laughs> room. Like yeah. anyone who gets involved with Rob and gets married to him and has kids with him uh, gets it. This is part of the deal, and Michael is certainly true of you. Am I right? It, yeah. Look at this. Look at look at the collection, and I mean, it, this is part of the deal. We're going to be doing this. You did it. You did it for a living for a long time, and we don't have time. But that's my question for you, mm-hmm. Michael. Someday we're going to talk about that in a proper segment where we give ourselves 15, 20 minutes. The difference between watching these movies and talking about them with your friends like this and having screeners sent to you and watching them pile up and knowing you have to watch them and then you have to write about them whether you want to or not. And, And what the difference is between it being your passion and it being your job. Because I know for you that it's really, it for me it's been a little bit both. For you it's been completely both for a long period of time, but that we got to leave it there. That's a teaser for a future show. We're over time, but you guys, Rob, this was an awesome idea. Thank you everybody for coming on. It was, it was spooktacular, Rob. (laughs) (laughs) If anyone has a good idea for next week, let us know. (laughs) Don't be afraid to tell us your good ideas. Please don't. Uh, all right, that is going to do it for this week. Rob, Michael, thank you guys so much for joining us. Thank you. Um, as always, it is uh, a delightful to see you in um, small square box form. Um, and uh, all right, you can uh, reach out to us at the movie show with Joel and Ryan uh, page on Facebook at Ask Joel and Ryan on Twitter, Instagram, and uh, TikTok. And you can um, always, uh, if you're on YouTube, if you're watching this on YouTube, subscribe, hit that like button, tell your friends, uh, and you can email us at Ask uh, Joel and Ryan at, well, at Ask Joel and Ryan at gmail.com. It's those ats in the at. Askill and Ryan at gmail.com. That is going to do it for us for this week. Thanks so much, everybody. Thank you for listening to The Movie Show with Joel and Ryan. Remember, all views and opinions represented in this podcast are personal and belong solely to the speaker and do not represent those people, institutions, or organizations that the speaker may or may not be associated with, unless explicitly stated. None of these views and opinions were intended to malign or deceive. And now, here's the producers, circa 1982, to play us out.